Honest conversation about games, life, and belief. I'm your host, Drew Dixon, and I'm joined today by our managing editor, Richard Clark. Hey, Richard. Hey, Drew. How are you doing? I'm doing well as always. <laughs> Good. And we have a, each week we have a special guest uh, on the show to talk about life, games, and belief. And this week we're joined by Ken Levine who you know from uh, Bioshock and Bioshock Infinite and System Shock and probably missing some other things too uh, in there. I know I am. Uh, so, hey, Ken, how are you? I am terrific. Nice to nice to be on the podcast with you guys. Drew, I want to point out that you said that we would know him from those games like he stars in them or something. Yeah. So yeah. He, uh, he made them, right? <laughs> I, also, I, I do have a speaking role in all those games as well. Is I that true? To, I do. In, everyone, in pretty much all of our games, I have a small... Medium to small speaking role, usually small. So, what is what? What would that be in the last in, la, in a Bioshock and Bioshock Infinite? In uh, Bioshock One, welcome to the Circus of Values. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay, yeah. Which my wife hates. <laughs> um, is it your ringtone? Oh, uh, people have asked me to have it be their their ringtone. Not my wife has never asked me that, but she just like she was lying there petting her dog, and she just like just jumped up and like horrors when I did that. And Infinite, I was, I was the vending machine as well, but it was a little different. And in, in, I don't want to talk about what I was in System Shock 2 because it was so embarrassingly bad that, <laughs> um, uh, it's bad. It's just bad. <laughs> well, that's, that's, uh, I did not know that. It's really interesting. Cool. So, so, uh, what we usually do in the I, I got paid a- no, I got paid no extra for it, unfortunately. Aww. <laughs> Oh, that's too bad. Yeah. I think I think you deserve something, a little something for that. I do. Yeah. Well, uh, we usually begin the first part of the cast by just talking with our guests about what they believe, kind of, um, and where they got, how they got to believe what they believe. So, uh, tell us, where'd you grow up, Ken? I was born in New York City, and I grew up, and a year or so later, I moved to New Jersey. My family, I moved to New Jersey, took me with them, and um, so northern New Jersey, about an hour outside of New York City. So was uh, a religion a part of your upbringing? No, I mean, we were of Jewish descent, but we were never, I was never bar mitzvahed. I never went to Hebrew school. I never went to anything. Um, I did when I was a teenager, you know, I decided to say, well, let me check this stuff out. So, uh, I, well, it may have been, I may have been curious. So there may have been a really cute girl in this Bible study group. Um, <laughs> and, um, That's how it starts. <laughs> yeah. And, um, I went and I checked it out, oh, you know, cause I was always open to, I was always open to say, well, you know, what's this about? And I went, um, to a few Bible study groups and I was, you know, on the, on, on the Christian side and I've been to, um, you know, I've been in bar mitzvahs and stuff like that. And, 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 you know, I think I've been pretty open about it. It's none of it ever really, um, <clears throat> really stuck with me in any, in any meaningful way. And I didn't get the girl either. So there you go. Maybe maybe if it stuck with me, I would have gotten the girl. Yeah. So so are, were you joking when you said it was the girl, or did, was that serious? Because my question is, if you felt a void that led you to something like that, or if that was just something you kind of stumbled into and thought, no, this isn't working. You know, when I was a kid, I I, I think it's fair to say that I assumed that there was 
a heaven and a hell and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I, I just assumed that because I guess it just never occurred. And a devil, it just never occurred to me. And I don't know. I mean, that's not particularly Jewish or anything. I never had, but that was most of the sort of the, you know, I read The Omen, you know, and saw that movie when I was a kid. <laughs> and, and the Exorcist. Yeah. And I just always assumed that was the case. And it wasn't really until I became a adolescent that I was like, w- in, for me, you know, I was like, well, wait a minute. Is there? Is that, does that make sense to me? <laughs> So, but I never really felt any kind of spiritual void um, of any kind. I never, I never felt like I had to have ant- questions answered about the universe or about life or the afterlife, and it never was. It never, it never weighed on me, really, honestly. So, what would you say are like your core, your core beliefs now? Like, where, where would, where have you landed now? Well, I mean. I have a lot of beliefs. I have political beliefs. I have social beliefs. I have, I just don't really have any, um, I, I guess you could say I'm, 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 I'm an evidence guy and mm-hmm. I am, I'm, I'm, a, um, I sort of hold all things that don't have proof in the same, in, or, or, or how lack evidence in sort of the same category and to be equally as likely. Um, I think I call myself an agnostic for a while, but then I realized that, I, it wasn't that I sort of wasn't sure if there was a God. I just, I, I wasn't anything. I just sort of realized that everything I had no evidence for, I sort of felt the same way about it. It could possibly be, but there's no reason a, any more than any, anything else that has no evidence. Would it, would I, I, I gave it no more credence than that. Sure. And that's when I sort of, that came about when I was, you know, started coming out when I was like, wait a minute. Why there's probably not a hell like that. That was something that occurred to me. Like I don't see any evidence for that. And that was a big relief to me because I actually used to worry about it all the time. Of course, you know, one day you'd be, I'd be like, "Oh man, there was one." Um, <laughs> that'll be too late. Um, but I, I don't. I, I don't. Um, I just sort of lumped all stuff to, that had no evidence together in the same group. So do you what? What would be? Let's let's talk about empirical evidence. Sorry, because I don't. Okay. Mean, I'm not trying to impugn, you know, spiritual beliefs and things like that. But I I don't tend to have them, so I look at empirical, you know, yeah. traditional empirical evidence. Yeah, that's kind of what I was getting at. I was I was wondering what would be adequate evidence to, for instance, the the existence of God. Like, what made you go make you go? Okay, that probably is a thing. Well, yes. Yeah, so somebody once said to me, like uh, a friend of mine who's religious said to me, uh, Julian Murdoch actually does a game research Oz podcast. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, he we said, should have you know, him on this podcast sometime. Oh, he, he, he'd be fascinating. Yeah. I mean, we should have him. Um, we talk about it all religion a lot. Um, he said, um, you know, I bet, you know, I bet there's nothing that would, well, nothing would make you believe there's a God. I said, well, well, if there was evidence, of course, right? I believe there's anything that had evidence. I would tend to, had credible evidence, I would tend to believe in. Um, or believe it till something better came along in terms of evidence. Yeah. Um, you know, in terms, I guess, you know, same standard I would give anything else. What would make me believe that, um, that, you know, in, in the multi, many worlds, worlds theory of quantum mechanics, um, what would make me believe that, um, you know, that, um, stevia was okay to drink compared to NutraSweet? Mm-hmm. You know, empirical. Imper- <laughs> I kind of take that on faith. <laughs> I don't know about you. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, there's lots of things that we sort of, we sort of, uh, you know, we sort of, you, you you do we do take a lot of we do take a lot on faith because we're not sitting there in a lab ourselves. But you know I I do tend to subscribe to the 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 sort of the larger the 
the leap that one has to make for the claim, the more the more evidence needs to be to to sort sure. of demonstrate that it's it's truth. Sure. Yeah. But, so but, but, but um, I have a very I have I have a pretty empirical worldview, um, and that may be that makes me a little dull, I guess. You know, like I I I pretty much don't have anything but empiricism in terms of what I believe. I do believe, however, that what we don't know is massive, mm-hmm. like insanely mad like you know 200 years ago we didn't know there were radio i don't think we knew there were like microwaves and radio waves and all these other things that seem outrageous you know would have Mm -hmm. seen outrageous back then there were little creepy crawlies you know bacteria crawling around um and we found out there were and so i believe there's there's a huge body a huge insanely huge body and you know you know the whole flatland thing where you you know, if you if you live in a two dimensional world, uh, a sphere looks like a circle to you because you can't perceive. You know, you know that saying? Yes. Yeah. Because uh-huh. um, you just can't perceive anything beyond two dimensions. So all you would perceive of of a sphere would be a circle. I I, I believe there could be spheres out there. You know, mm-hmm. I have no. I, I, in fact, I assume there are. I just don't necessarily believe they look like God. Yeah. Interesting. Right. You said you you you're. It makes you dull, but the reality is like if you. You look at your work. I mean, one of the reasons we had you on is because we want, desperately wanted to have you on because all of your work kind of speaks to these questions of belief, like really specifically. So you're clearly like kind of thinking through those things all the time, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I probably know for better or for worse, maybe it's different in other parts of the country. Mm-hmm. I get frustrated. I spend more, a lot of time thinking about religion, a lot of time, you know, looking at religion, studying like I was in this, you know, meeting talking about the last part of barrel at sea and there's a scene that i call elizabeth's gethsemane scene and i was like and i was speaking to the whole room of people a bunch of christians in the room or lapsed christians but some real people, and i'm like you know gethsemane gethsemane and they're like i don't know what you're talking about and I was like, uh, <laughs> um, yeah. because I, it's a great story right it's a yeah. beautiful story. yeah yeah um and and it's also you know people it's there's a reason those stories last because they're powerful mm-hmm so when did you kind or how did you kind of develop? Because I think both, um, certainly Bioshock and Bioshock Infinite are deeply interested in religion. And I think from two pretty different perspectives, I think. So how did that become something that you were really curious or interested to explore in, in a game? Well, I think they're both about religion in the sense that they're both about a, a, a doctrine. Mm-hmm. They're both about people who are doctrinal. Um, you know, Andrew Ryan's belief system is as doctrinal as Father Comstock's. Like he, he will not ex- accept any challenge to it. Um, and so I think they're very similar in a lot of ways. And I think that's, mm-hmm. that, that was what, that was what connected, even though they're such opposites, you know, one, they're, but one is an atheist, one is a, one is a, is a, you know, an evangelical, one is, um, uh, one is of Jewish descent, one is of Christian descent, and th- they're actually similar in some ways that they just sort of have this very rigid belief system that they believe solves is you know is sort of the all-purpose solution to all the pro- all the problems that the world may have. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, and in my and in my version of the story, you know, those become those aren't sufficient. Yeah, that's fascinating mm-hmm. because I feel like so I've been a fan of Bioshock for a long time. Um, and I liked a lot, a lot about Bioshock Infinite. There were things in Bioshock Infinite, frankly, that I wasn't a fan of, right? Like, cause you, you go pretty hard at certain aspects of a religion that looks like me, you know, in Bioshock Infinite, I think. Is that fair to say? Oh, I, listen, I, I, cause one thing I would, I, 
I'd love to know, because I heard a little bit of you guys talking about it on our podcast, but then I didn't listen to it because I'd rather just talk to you guys directly. Sure. So what, 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 what's stuck in your craw? I mean, I can imagine a lot. But what <laughs> yeah, so what your, I, your beliefs? Let me come at it from this direction. So what I was going to say was, for Bioshock, for a long time, I was like, uh, Levine is talking about extremism here. He's talking about a person who believes, not only just believes things and that they are the answer to the world's problems, but he, be- he believes, first of all, the wrong thing in Bioshock, right? Like, that was helpful that I didn't believe <laughs> that. But, um, <laughs> in Bioshock Infinite, it started to feel like, okay, um, for a while while I was playing it, it felt like extremism. It felt like a person who just takes these beliefs and they push them too far in the sense that they try and, apply force, you know, they try and, and force people into these beliefs, which just doesn't work, right? It's just an impossible thing to force a person to believe a thing. Um, and then, uh, and, and the way that that destroys a world, um, and that, that I can, I can get on board with. Then it started to feel kind of implicitly about the, how, like you said, like how, uh, ascribing to a doctrine can mm-hmm. kind of eat away at a person and, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm reading it wrong, but kind of like cause them to lose all, um, sense of reality in a way and kind of put this on, put them on this one track focus where they're not able to kind of do anything else, which my, my perspective is more that, um, and I do, I do think it's contingent on what you believe, right? Cause obviously if you believe a harmful, uh, doctrine that is really, misguided that's going to be a problem and we've seen that play out many times with cults and all sorts of things but um with with in particular i guess i'm trying to say with my religion (laughs) um (laughs) i i feel like there's a there's a sense in which it allows for the rest of my uh pursuits in the world to be more uh rich and more uh valuable in general so so as infinite wasn't wasn't sort of there 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 a broad range of of, re, of of religious aspects that infinite doesn't touch on what parts of the what parts of religion did it touch on that you found uh, made you uncomfortable or difficult like was it I the think, baptism was it well i guess like one thing that we and we actually ran an article about this on game church um if neither rich or i wrote it um a guy named Britton peel wrote it so i'll throw him under the bus um <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he said, he said, I'll just quote it. He said, the most infor- unfortunate part of Infinite Story is that there aren't any positive examples of religion to compare Comstock against. And a universe in which Comstock exists in a million worlds, surely one of them would be an ups- upstanding Christian man. No, um, surely one of them took Jesus' message to heart and cared about others more than he cared about himself. Um, maybe in one world, Zachary Comstock found true peace in religion, and others knew he was a man of faith, not because he boasted about it, but because of the love he showed others. And so, I think, like, like I, I'll say this, I really appreciated Bioshock Infinite, because I think it hit on, like, some really big problems that are present in American Christianity, like, um, like this insane sort of, um, uh, American exceptionalism that still persists in a lot of, like, um, conservative Christians today. Yeah. Like, I think that's a really helpful critique, but I do think, I do think that was, I, I, I felt a little bit of what, of what, I, I wasn't offended by it, but I felt a little right. bit of what, Brit, of what Britain, uh, expressed there. Yeah, that's, you know, that's an important it. distinction. Like, I, I would draw a clear distinction between being offended by it, which I wasn't. I, I just didn't resonate with me. Like, it didn't feel as true to my reality. Sure. Well, let me see if I can unpack that into two parts. Um, 
one is that I, I, I would say that, so we, we, before we got on the podcast, we talked briefly about, you know, there was a, a, a situation where somebody on the team became deeply offended mm-hmm. about when they played the game and actually put down the controller when they played it. And this is before it was done. They got to the end of the game, which was roughly in the shape it was in when you played it. Mm-hmm. They saw the end of the game and they threw down the controller and they basically closed the game down, opened up Microsoft Word and wrote their resignation letter. Wow. And wow. Bef- I said, look, I said, I heard that had happened. I said, let me, let me chat with him before he goes. <laughs> um, and my, of course, my goal was to keep him. Um, but so I sat down with him. And I, I said, what, you know, what was so, um, offensive about this to you? And, um, because I think that the most important thing for me is always, are we hitting our target when we have a target, you know, and I, I religion per se wasn't the target, but so what, what was the, the goal was not here to, to offend anybody. The goal was to talk about a topic and do yeah. it in, in a fairly, you know, I, I believe art can and maybe should be offensive sometimes because you don't exactly know where the border is. Yep. Between being provocative yeah. and being offensive. And I, I think that art should be dangerous. Yeah, definitely. Um, but I, on the other hand, I didn't want to make sure I, you know, like if it turned out like there's a whole thing that was really offensive to, you know, to, to Eskimos that had nothing to do with the plot. I'd be like, well, why? Do, that's silly. I'm not trying to even talk about Eskimos here. So let me just remove that. But it was, so we talked about it and, and, and I didn't, I didn't remove anything from the conversation. I added something. Um, and what I added was Lady Comstock's personality. And the reason I added is I realized exactly what you're saying was right. And it was pretty late in the day that there was no real positive examples yeah. of the impact of, 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 of any aspect of religion in the game. And so when I sit down, I, Lady Comstock was sort of a blank when I started writing. She mostly exists in audio logs. Um, if you go back and you listen to her audio logs, she talks about the power of forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and that, and to me, that's what I, that's what resonates with me about Christianity. Uh, that the power of forgiveness, the power of, of non-judgment, the power of, of, of not, of leaving, of not taking judgment, of not taking vengeance, of not judging and of forgiving. And that was one of the most powerful examples I think Christ can gave, you know. Um, and Lady Comstock becomes an example that she, if you go back into her story and, you know, I don't know how familiar with you guys are. It isn't a series of audiologues. It's not in the foreground. But that was my reaction to realizing there was, in the time I had that somebody really pointed out there was not, there was not a prevailing counterexample or, and, the, and not just because it has to be point counterpoint, because it just was less interesting yeah. not to have mm-hmm. that. So I think if, if there was an example of re- the power of, of, of religion, it was about forgiveness and about how that change transformed her life. Yeah. Um, and so uh, that's the first part. The second part is, I would, I would think about the, com, about Comstock like this. I think that Com, you know, Booker Comstock, you know, spoiler alert here, right? <laughs> yeah. Was a very damaged individual. Um, mm-hmm. and he had a whole bunch of reasons he was damaged. You know, he, 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 he was acted in a way at Wounded Knee that he was, he couldn't, he could never reconcile with himself. And he, his view was there was a, a get out of jail free card. And that was baptism. Yeah. And that yes. he could go into the, into the waters of baptism and come out a different man, literally a different man, which is to some degree a fair, you know, th- that is, and I'm not, you know, again, as I said, I wasn't raised Christian, but you know, you do, you are born again in right. the waters of baptism, right? Mm-hmm. Um, well, we, yeah, we would say that baptism is whatever, <laughs> not that it matters, but oh, I think 
Rich and I would say that uh, it's a symbol of something that's already happened. Yeah, but yeah, Christians but we differ do. on that. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, but, but yeah, in some notion, in, in some in some forms of Christianity, baptism is is sure. A, and both and, Rich and I would say we believe in in the idea of of new birth as as Christians. Think. Right. Yeah. But I, but my but my assumption is is that there needs to be even to, even to a religious person, even to a Christian, it's not just enough to go into the water. There has to be a change of heart. Yep. Yeah. Like a, yeah. Definitely. And Comstock didn't have that change of heart. Yeah. And in one world, he realizes that it's a fake for him. It's not work for him. And he be, and he's Booker. And the other world, he says, no, this will work. This will do it. This will work. And his conversion, his rebirth is a false one. Assume, and let's live in a world where we assume there is a Christian rebirth. There is, a, there is an actual, there is an actual transformation that happens. Mm-hmm. Comstock didn't, in my view, didn't ever, if there was such a transformation, he never had it. Yeah. So I'm not trying to get out of jail free here with you guys. I think by your own, by most lights of Christian doctrine, he he wasn't actually born again. Yeah. Yeah. What's difficult with that for me is that your entire world is led, that that religion is led by him. So it's like foundationally it's built on a lie. Though I guess there's a lot that could exist outside of that world, right? So that's what I'm missing. Right, in the same way that it wasn't representative of, the reason it was not America, yeah. and not Christianity, was Comstock, cause look, his religion is a form of, it's really a mixture of religions, cause like he has a whole, he has, like, as much like, in the way that Mormonism took Christianity, mm-hmm. and sort of did a new, um, well, you know, latter day, a latter day revision of it. He is, his religion is much more akin to Mormonism, in terms of, I don't, I don't mean in, in, validity or 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 anything but in terms of, of structure that he took the bible um like islam like mormonism and said there's a new chapter and here it is and his yeah. new chapter involves a whole bunch of new uh you know a whole bunch of new prophecies um a latter day i mean yes it's well like mormonism in a lot of ways that there's 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 latter day prophecies but it's a highly prophetic religion and he's the he calls himself the prophet um so i don't actually think it's really one-to-one christianity but just but on the other side you know there is no real no we can really point to any one form of any religion judaism christianity islam and say this is the this is the one if i wish you know, it'd be nice if we could maybe you know the sunnis and the shiites wouldn't be killing each other all the time and maybe the you know the the, the religious wars in, in europe never would have happened and and so on and so on and so forth yeah can we talk a little bit about the the picture of of that particular religion that you paint in this, in this game, this Bioshock, in Bioshock Infinite, because in that game, you, you kind of do this dead on, uh, extreme, like, kind of if we get what we want version of the American church at its worst. I don't know if you have experience with that or what, but it felt really eerie to me, like the, the marriage of nationalism and Christian ism sort of that happens in that game um like i don't know if you've ever sat in an evangelical fourth of july service but um some of them like can be really scary like really weird and odd and scary because no, of I'm that act- marriage I, I, tell me about it I, i've never actually I, i've seen stuff on tv and i've heard them talk yeah. i never i mean essentially we uh I say well we, i mean like the thing that comes to my mind and that I've experienced actually is like going to not a church that I attended, but like going to church with relatives and then like on the 4th of July <laughs> and, uh, and you sing like, 
you know, God Bless America and... The Battle Hymn of the Republic. The Battle Hymn of the Republic. And, like, these songs that really don't have much of anything to do with God, um, you know you know what I mean? Other than the fact that they claim that God happened to do something nice for our particular country. And then um, I've sat in services where there were literally, like, what's called a patriotic medley, where you watch the choir sort of sing several... Uh, stereotypical patriotic songs and then at the end they sing like maybe an original that ends with this big and it's all about like god working through america to accomplish his purpose it thinks of america i think churches think of america as um i want to be clear that i'm not talking about all of evangelical churches because we clearly go to churches that don't do this but um it's a lot of them especially in the south so the idea that god, uh america is sort of god's chosen nation and uh it's just weird how, how, how much that contrasts with the Bible. Clearly the Bible doesn't talk about America and it definitely talks a lot about how God doesn't intend to use force and how he intends to save all nations, uh, of every tongue and tribe. So it's weird to me, like, that, that exists. And it's, it's just kind of stunning to see that picture in Bioshock Infinite. That was one thing that definitely resonated with me. Well, you know, like, I, 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 independent of religion. Yeah, I've always think that, you know, like I'm generally not a huge believer in nationalism. Um, I tend to I tend to believe government is a utility we create to make our lives better. Yeah. And the notion of 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 wanting to die for a country always struck me as bizarre because a, 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 we are we create government to make our lives better. Um, the government doesn't have value beyond improving the lives of its of its of its of the uh, constituents, um, and this is not about an argument for big government or little government. It's really a philosophy about government. And I've always been very uncomfortable with, and, and my wife and I go to the Fourth of July thing here. She likes fireworks, and we go, and it's fun. And there's the you know the Pledge of Allegiance, or sorry, the song with this um, "Put Your Hand on Your Heart." Um, the Star Spangled Banner. Yeah, and I've always, and this is probably going to get me some hate mail. I've always been uncomfortable <laughs> with saluting uh, um, a flag yeah. because it's not that I don't, you know, listen, there are people, and I've been very fortunate when I was born that I didn't have to go to war, that I didn't have to go, you know, to, I didn't have to, to wasn't fighting Nazis in the Arden forest in the, in the winter of 1944. I didn't have to land in Iwo Jima. I didn't have to do any of those things. I didn't have to march, you know, down to Atlanta but on the other hand, I believe those things were done not for a flag. They were done for the people that you care about and to protect the people that you care about in your community. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I'm all, and I, we get ugly looks because we don't stand up with that. And I'm not really even, I'm not trying to protest. I just don't feel comfortable doing it. I feel really false when I do it. Um, and the same thing, I look, I have the same problem at religious services. Um, and, you know, I we go to Passover or something and I feel very uncomfortable, not because again, I don't, it's, it's, I, I, I have loathing or disdain for anything. I just, I don't feel it, you know? Um, it's like, it's like telling you someone you love them when you, when you don't. Um, and I think that, um, I think nationalism is generally used, you know, generally nationalism leads to bad things. Mm -hmm. In almost every case. And it's also, it is used, um, and I think it's one of the most dangerous, one of the most dangerous inventions. And it's so obviously, it's so obviously 
and I'm about to get maybe offensive to you guys in a minute, but if you wanted to create something to make people do stuff for you and not have to give them anything in return, nationalism would be a great invention. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, in the same way, one could argue that if you wanted to create something where people would do stuff for you and you don't have to give them anything back until they die, you could say religion might be a good invention. Yeah, that's true. I agree with that. Um, if it was to be, and, and look, and, and let's say there, let's, let's allow for their America might be exceptional, capital E exceptional, or, you know, there, or, or Jesus Christ to come as, 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 you know, as the son of God and, and to redeem us for our sins. Let's say those things are true. If, if those things were true, they still, they would coincide with an excellent invent, with an excellent, um, in, invention of somebody who want to manipulate people. Um, and mm -hmm. even if they were true, they, they, they would resemble a brilliant manipulation. Yeah. I think that's fair to say. Sure. Um, and so I think that, um, that's why religion and to some degree, you know, and nationalism are, they're very, very, very powerful forces. And they're also, I think, forces to be feared and respected because they are is so powerful. And they've and they've moved they've moved mountains over, over over thousands of years. Yeah, and I think you know uh, the the Bible is well aware of what you're talking about. The sort of the danger of misusing uh, yeah, these ideas. True. It's the, one of the biggest things that the Bible despises is this idea of false teaching. And there's there's circumstances where guys like I want to use this for to make money, and it's like. Uh, you are dead to us. <laughs> basically, you know, it's just not a cool thing to yeah. do, basically. So. Yeah, or like, um, James says, you know, true religion is this to care for orphans and widows in their distress. So there's this, and, and that's like a constant theme in Jesus' ministry too, right? Of like, he's constantly fighting with the Pharisees because he claimed that it was a religion devoid of substance. Um, and obviously, like, that doesn't mean, that doesn't like automatically make Jesus right, but I'm, it is. It is something I think Scripture at least attend, attempts to be aware of. I guess. Well, well, Scripture separate. And stop me if I have my facts wrong here. Sure. And again, um, I'm not trying to offend anybody here. I'm just trying to. These are the questions I think about. Go for it. Offend us, please. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's inarguable that there is a fair amount of inconsistent textual inconsistency in in in, in the New Testament. There's a fair amount of debate about you know the which the Gnostic Gospels and and even 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 contrast between what Paul may have written with um you know with what may be you know um in, in one of the other Gospels even one of the accepted Gospels different um you know Christ divinity appears in some of the Gospels but not others the notion of Christ being divine um, well yeah I mean I think Rich and I would both like like there I mean there's certainly debates about them and um. You know, I think that, I think there's actually a pretty strong case that, and we're getting into like really, uh, ticky things here, but I think there's certainly a case that can be made for Christ being divine in all, in all four gospels, which is obviously like a huge, hugely important. Like if, if I didn't think Christ was divine in all four gospels, that would be a, like, that would be a game changer for me. Right. Well, well, I think to some degree you have to, you have to go, you have to sort of put a leap of faith into the text to see a fully consistent piece of text, but that's what religion is about. It's about sure, faith. Yeah. No, I think that's fair. Yeah. I do think that it takes faith to, to, to believe that. Absolutely. Yeah. But I would contrast that with kind of overlooking facts. <laughs> you know sure. what I mean? Like, so, I, so I'm saying, I don't think, so I would disagree with your first statement. Uh, and maybe we can just agree to disagree on that, which is 
cool. Um, but the, I don't think the textual criticism, the textual contradictions are that open and shut. Um, and when they are, I think they're more, uh, a result of different authorial intent than anything. If that makes sense. Yeah. No, no. Look, look so I, 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 I think you can say it's resolvable with faith, but certainly there are arguments to be made of the problematic cons- inconsistencies in, in the text. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, there's sure. also, there's also, I think, a fair amount of argument to say that there are things in the Old Testament that I think any modern person would pretty much want to walk away from. Um, aspects of the Old Testament. Yeah. Uh, sure. You know, um, with, you know, the, what well, is it, Lot's daughters and, and, um, and certain aspects of, of, you know, what happened on, in the ex, during the Exodus and, 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 you know, the, the kind of the various, you know, all, all a fair amount of what we consider atrocities, approval of slavery, all, all that, all that kind of stuff. It's not a mo- it's not a 20th first century view of the world certainly I think that's fair to say. Yeah, I think um I think the overarching issue here is that like people like Duran I might would would say yes we would look at those things and be and be repelled but we would also see what it's trying to do with and the the Bible itself is repelled by those things if that makes sense. And maybe we differ on what is repellent and what's not, but there are a lot of things in the Old Testament and all the things you listed, certainly. We would also say, yes, those are repellent and scripture is making that point in that text. Um, just like in, you know, Bioshock Infinite, you're, you do, you have a lot of things and people say, oh, it's violent, so it's bad, but that's kind of the point, right? So, um. Sure, sure. Well, well, you, you could say that as a narrative, the position was that God is saying, as a as a narrative that, that these are bad these are these are things that you sh- that shouldn't be done that shouldn't happen that shouldn't be existing i think that yeah. shouldn't be in this world i think you're in the old testament broadly speaking he's painting a picture that describes our need for christ right the world's kind of overarching need for for salvation okay so okay so that's interesting so you start, in your view is that there's a a book that's full of a bunch of problems, and Christ sort of appears as the solution to the problems. That's an oversimplification which I made, but yes, <laughs> that's ba- that's basically it. I, I think um, there's there's definitely a lot of different things going on, but I would say to the things you're referring to, yeah, I would say that's the case. So 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 I I guess the larger point I was trying to make is that mm-hmm. I, I think that I I think the reason you see the stuff work coming for me is I have a general discomfort. With sort of any, ex- once we get too comfortable in our belief systems, um, and they, and they're not, they're not open to being challenged, I think you often see trouble. Yeah. Um, yeah. and if we think our system, our system of belief is correct, you often see trouble. You know, I wrote on a Facebook posting recently, nothing particularly original, but I think something I truly believe in is that, you know, the def, the, how you define a true society is freedom from fear and freedom of speech. That, that allows us to question um, mm-hmm. and to always question. And I think when I'm trying to write about a societies that have stopped questioning. Yeah. Mm, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Cause it's interesting. I was just thinking as we had all this, this discussion, like, and you know, we were kind of critiquing uh, infinite a little bit about like wishing there were, you know, more Christians like us <laughs> in the game. <laughs> Cause we're such great Christian. No, we're not. Um, but uh, rich is definitely not. Um, no, I'm kidding. But, uh, (laughs) but like, you know, I think Bioshock, the first Bioshock is kind of, is kind of more sympathetic. Um, you know, and, and from that same standpoint, it's critiquing a society in which religion is not allowed at all. Mm -hmm. And, and so one of the first things that you find that people smuggled in 
to um, into Rapture is is Bibles. I thought that was a really um I, I really like that was a profound moment for me playing that game is yeah. finding that people had smuggled Bibles into Rapture. Well, I, I I think I think you know I guess what I was trying to say with that was that um, trying to tell people what to think and what not to think. There's there there is a it it is always going to be a, a fruitless well a fruitless and as you said you, you can tell you can't ever can you can tell somebody to think something but they won't necessarily think it and they can act like they're thinking it they can pretend that they're thinking it yeah but they won't be thinking it yeah and um you know and so Ryan trying to keep religion out by by law rather than by reason um you know by making a better argument is never going to work. It, yeah. it, it will come in. It, any idea, any idea that you try to keep out will come in. You have to allow it because it will come in. Yeah, and that's actually like um, that idea is kind of not far from why like we are confident. <laughs> and this is gonna sound arrogant. I don't mean it to be, but in doing this podcast is because because we believe that like the truth will come to the to the fore. Like the and the truth will speak loud enough. For, you know, like we don't, and I think that's what this, I'm speaking in circles a little bit, but that's what makes Christianity, I think, distinct from a lot of other religions. And, and obviously this has not always been true in the practice of right. Christianity. Like Christianity has been practiced in such a way that people have tried to force others to become Christians, like the Crusades. And we could talk about a lot of other, I mean, pe- Christians are still doing that today in some, in some sense. But um, I think one of the things that does distinguish Christianity, at least from a biblical perspective, I think, is that you can't force anybody to be to become a Christian. Like that's something that um, that only God can do. I guess if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think that you know, I think a good thing that happens generally with religion as they sort of age um, is they either you can look at it two ways, or maybe and maybe it's both ways. They become more confident, and therefore they. Um, they have less of a need to, um, to, um, you know, convert by faith, by, by force mm-hmm. or they, sure. or they sort of through painful experience. And I think this is probably what happens to a lot of religions. And if you look at the history of Europe, I think you can see it very clearly, you know, the blood of the martyrs, you know, was very, you know, water, the water, the, the, the crops for, you know, centuries in, in, in Europe until finally, I think people said, okay, that's enough. That's not the way. And I think that Islam is a much younger religion. And to some degree, my hope is, is that eventually they will themselves, you know, the, the more extreme elements would they themselves say enough. This is not, mm-hmm. this, this is not the right way forward. I, my, unfortunately, I think there will always be a religion. There will always be some religion in the state, um, of, of, of sort of in its life cycle that will have a very violent, um, approach to, or ask, not all of it, but, but certain, certain aspects of, of certain practicing aspects of the, of the, of the society of it will, will use, uh, c- conversion by, 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 by force. Yeah. It's really um, interesting because I don't, I mean, I know for, for Christianity, like, so we were listening, I had a sermon, there was a sermon in my church this, uh, Sunday, and it was about Jesus, uh, when he was being taken for crucifixion. And the, uh, the Pharisees or the Roman soldiers, they're the ones. So they come and get him, and Peter's response is to draw out his sword and to go to war. He wants to, like, chop this dude's head in half with a sword, basically, right? That, um, yeah. And, and Jesus' response is an instant. He doesn't even think about it. He's like, stop. 
No, that's not what this is about. It's not even remotely what this is about. And you see that thread throughout the New Testament where it's the people, it's the followers who are always like, come on, let's go, let's do this, let's go to war, let's get this done. And over and over, it's the it's God, or you might say the religion itself, that is saying, actually, that's not the case. So I kind of feel like my perspective is it is natural within ourselves to want to do that. I don't know if religion is the issue, if or even the, the youth of religion. It's just the fact that once you have something you believe in general... You wanna you wanna fight for it. We see that in militant atheism, right? Well, yeah, well, yes. I mean, not me. Um, right, not you. But I'm I, just, that's why I clarified militant. <laughs> frankly, I, I don't. You know, look. If, if if in my perspective, as long as they're not telling me what to do. Yeah. If you people want to go to church all day long, that's that's their business. You right. know, I I couldn't care. I don't need to convert anybody. Um, I think the anxiety you're seeing in in atheism is sort of uh, and I can't speak for everybody. I'm sure there are people who this is not true for. The only anxiety I have about religion is when, um, you know, I, I think the one, I, the notion of living in a world where somebody would tell me I have to believe in a religion would, would be a very, very difficult one for me. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. In the same way, I imagine if somebody told you you had to be um, atheistic. Yeah. Um, sure. Yeah. You couldn't practice religion or if I was forced to practice religion, I think that would be, mm-hmm. that would be a very hard pill for me to swallow. Yeah. Um, but I don't really, I think, look, it happens. There's a lot of really, you know, I think, um, I think there's overreach, but it's not exactly like I am, you know, going to pick up a sword to do mm-hmm. what I feel is any amount of overreach reach, um, on the religious, on, on, on the side of a religion and, and sort of, you know, in, in, in my life, nobody's really telling me what to do or what not to do. Um, I think that, you know, um, so you just sorry you're talking about it's right it's with um Peter you're talking about the, when the when the soldiers come for Ju- for Jesus right right yeah and he, in the in the garden I think and he cuts off his ear and then Christ heals it I think doesn't he that's right yeah, yeah. um I I I I I think that's you know the whole story like I, I've got to confess something that I think I think the story of crucifixion is is I don't I don't I mean I'm it may have historically I don't obviously I don't believe in the sort of the you know the sort of the divine aspect of it, but mm-hmm. as a story, I think there's a lot to 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 learn from, and I think it's a, it's a beautiful story. And one of the reasons I think it's so beautiful is is Christ's agony in the garden that mm-hmm. he yeah. doesn't want to die, and yeah. mm-hmm. and he asks for the cup to be taken away from him. And I think that's I think that probably has a lock in the most powerful dramatic scene ever written. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because it makes him real and it makes him human. And I think it's, it, it's such a beautiful story. And I think that it also makes his sacrifice have meaning. Cause if he doesn't, if he's purely divine, who cares, right? You know, hey, I'll, you know, just, yeah, sure. So zap me in the hands with your, with your nails, but my super, my super hands will repel it with godly power. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it sounds he, like a video game. Yeah. yeah he, he suffered and he knew he was going to suffer and he feared that suffering. And I yeah. think that's why yeah. it's, a, it's such a beautiful story. So I think religion, you know, there's a lot that, and, you know, religion as a, as a, religion has a huge amount of contribution into to drama and to art, you know, an insane amount. And I think that, it always surprises me how little most modern um, people interested in the arts know about these stories, because even if they're just stories, they're incredibly powerful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
The Game Church Podcast is sponsored by Christ and Pop Culture, which exists to acknowledge, appreciate, and think rightly about the common knowledge of our age through thoughtful, long-form articles, challenging blog posts, and a beautifully illustrated bi-weekly online magazine at ChristandPopCulture.com. You can also check out the Christ and Pop Culture Podcast in iTunes to hear our talented contributors reflect on the latest in pop culture three times a week. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, a guy who used to write for Game Church um, wrote an article called In Defense of Religion in Bioshock Infinite. I don't know if you had ever seen that, but he wrote it for Kotaku. Um, What's his name? Who wrote it? Jordan Eckroth is his name. Yeah. Oh, and will you send me a yeah. link? Yeah, I will for sure. Um, but he said, he said Christianity never painted, this is, and he's talking about this in the context of Bioshock Infinite. He said, Christianity never painted the loving God as a tame God. He was a mystery beyond any of our conceptualization. One biblical writer helped us to see somewhat clear when he penned, no one has ever seen God, but when we love one another, his love is seen through us. Um, although a loving concept of God is easy enough for most Christians today, the true prompt of our religion is a commitment to love him by loving the most terrifying among us. Terrifying not because we don't ur- understand each other, but we do. And he says, um, and then he goes on to talk about how the baptism scene in in Bioshock Infinite um, is actually a kind of death of of the person and a kind of a sort of death. He interpreted it as a death of, you know, a, a death of the worst that's in Booker and an opportunity to move forward. He actually viewed that whole scene as a very like, like, um, like, I'm not sure. I'm not, I, I, I still like waver on whether I, I, I think that's a fair read of it, but um, as sort of like a, not that far from the Christian view of rebirth. Um, and so he, he actually took a, a Christian view to that story, which I thought was really interesting. Was he referring to the, the death of Booker at the very end of Infinite? Yes, I think so. I think well, so. I need to read the article again, honestly. But yeah, well, yeah. I mean, look, there, there's certainly no shortage of Christian metaphor there, in the sense that he was actually dying for to atone, you know, for his sins. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and to to keep his sins from being committed. Um, mm-hmm. And that, yeah, it, and and I think that's like it, in some ways is similar to the cross. I mean, I think you can draw a parallel anyway because yeah, um, you know. Uh, he, he's looking, he's certainly, I think he's looking beyond himself. And that's the point of, that's what gets Jesus out of the garden into the cross, you know? And, and, and I think you're seeing in me, like, even though I'm, I'm an atheist, even though I don't believe it, I think, I think it's quite beautiful. A lot of places that, you know, it's quite beautiful. And I think that's why you see it reflected in the, in the story, because even though it's a, it's a story that is, one can say is critical of religion, and I would probably say critical of a, of, of, it's silent on general, on religion in general, but, but, but critical on certain aspects of it and certainly critical of Cotter Comstock's, you know, view, view of religion. But also there is a notion of, of sacrifice and a notion of, um, for the, for one you love, you know, he, lo- he, de- he does it for, to spare Elizabeth, um, you know, that, that, that experience, um, and and to, and to some degree does it for himself to keep him from doing from from keeping him all those all those horrible things that he saw happen to keep him from being responsible himself responsible for all those things sure dying for his own sins um and you know and tying it into you know the you know it is a sort of a mixture of a lot of christian imagery um you know crucifixion to some degree you know dying for our sins and, and baptism obviously um and um I, I, but that comes out of a, certainly my response to, 
you know, the, the Christian, you know, the, the Christian stories and find them very beautiful at times. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's interesting too. I, I was actually talking to a Christian game developer on the phone today, um, kind of randomly, but, um, <laughs> he, uh, he actually said, and I just thought this was interesting. Um, he said that the baptism scene, I think, and I think he meant the initial baptism scene, like at the beginning of the game, um, was kind of a game that inspired him that goes, because he found that whole sequence, and it is, it's very, it has a very spiritual feel to it. It's very, um, you know, uh, almost otherworldly. Um, and, and so that he found that bat, that initial baptism scene kind of made him go, okay, we can, like, Christians can make interesting, we can, we can do this now. Like it sort of, it put a light bulb on in his head that made him think like, okay, now as a Christian, I can make a meaningful spiritual experience in a game. So. And all it took, um, all it took was a, was, was a godless Jew to, <laughs> to, to make him, to make, to make him think that. Um, no, look, listen, listen, I, I, I generally feel that uh, I find it a shame whether it's religion or whether it's, violence or whether it's sexuality or whether it's anything that people that people there's so much condemnation of people taking experiments and risks in art um mm -hmm. yeah because only if you don't you know we have we used to talk about this at irrational that you know whenever we were working on a scene i'd at least ask my guys to push it beyond where they think it it's good to push it past that point where it's too much yeah. because only by pushing it too far sometimes do you know where the right can you then pull it back to where it's right yeah um, yeah. if you don't push it, keep pushing, you never actually know where that boundary is. Yeah. yeah. I love that approach because I feel like, I feel like, like I love Bioshock Infinite a lot, particularly because it just handles these subjects. Like it deals with these subjects in a really brave, interesting way that a lot of games just are scared to do. Right. Yeah. And, uh, I think, I think on, on our part, it's important to distinguish between writing about something as bad and writing about something as like, uh, miss potential, right? Um, and being really clear about that. Cause it's easy to like see, you know, look around and like, uh, oh, suddenly everyone's mad at this game for, cause it made a misstep when it was trying to address a thing that no other game even attempts, right? Mm -hmm. if, if you want your art to read, just parrot your belief system. Yeah. Why, but why go? You've already, you're already there. You already have that experience. Why go? Yeah. You know, if you want, and I, th I think that's what I worry about right now is that people are afraid of danger. People are discouraging art to be dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. And, yep. and, and that art needs to take chances and, and fail. It needs to fail because if you don't fail, then you don't know if you pushed it far enough. And you know what? It needs to offend and yeah. it needs to, but it should try to do it honest. It should try to do it. Uh, authors, you know, the, I think if your goal is to go out and offend, you're, you're it's the wrong goal. Mm -hmm. I will say in general, I've got to say the reaction of, 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 of people of faith who played the game, I was pretty amazed how, how thoughtful they were in their reaction. I, I did not get any sort of like, you know, I didn't see people shutting down, mm -hmm. not even contemplating it because I, and I think that, that, and certainly in gamers and Christian gamers, I think that shows a confidence in people's beliefs. Sure. Um, yeah. That is, is a positive thing. And I think that we should, all, all of us, when we think about art, we need to be confident in our beliefs enough, confident enough that they can be challenged. Yeah. And, and comfortable with those being challenged. Yeah. And interestingly enough, that's what 
this guy I was talking to, who's a, a Christian game developer, was was kind of saying. I think that's what he was trying to say is that that scene inspired him to like try to say something, you know, um, risky with the game that he's making. I think he's he's trying to take some risks with it because I think in general Christians haven't done that when they've tried to make games or really art in general, at least in the last like. 50 years. <laughs> when Christians try to make art, it's not very risky. It's really safe. Um, and so it ends up being really bad. Yeah. I mean, the, the genre of movie making, of Christian movie making that I find really, <laughs> um, depressing is like there was a movie that was recently done about, um, a teacher. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. We're well, we're well acquainted with it. It, it's such a, it's such a, it's such a depressing straw man. It is. It's the worst. I hate uh, that. Ugh. And, you know, I'd rather so much rather see a debate between us, you know, about religion than a debate between a a a a, a an arrogant straw man and and yeah. and it just it's just it's just completely uninteresting. There's a movie I saw actually about Ju- Judaism, um, sort of about Judaism. It's a movie that it was a very small movie, and I I had heard of, it, but I never watched it. And it's not very it's not a great movie. It's called The Believer, and it's about a Jewish kid who ends up being a white supremacist. Wow. And it's really, and I'm not religious. Yes, it, I heard about this. It's interesting to watch it because it questions, it, it's really actually about, it's not really a potboiler about a, a Jewish kid becoming a white supremacist. It's really about questioning the meaning of Judaism and if it has any meaning. And it ends in the most ambiguous way. Um, and the most sort of like, and, and, and it is the most, one of the most unsatisfying dramatically unsatisfying but that was the point that it doesn't it comes down on such an ambiguous note yeah. and i think that was beautiful because it showed somebody confident enough in what they were thinking to to be okay with ambiguity mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. as compared to some of these um a lot of a lot of what i think especially in the sort of the media aspect of religious movements is is this sort of certainty um yeah. and you know, one of the reasons I like talking to you guys so much is, you know, like I, I like, I was very curious to see, I, I think, the, I think, you know, criticizing, I think the critique that infinite, here's what I think is a very fair critique of infinite outside of a very small bit of Lady Comstock. I think there are plenty of people in the world, lots and lots of people who feel, get joy and, and, and meaning out of religion. Mm-hmm. Sure. Whether, you know, whether I believe it or not, doesn't matter. They, they get joy and, 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 and meaning out of it. And warmth and community. I did a very poor job of representing that. Huh. And I think that's a very fair critique of the game. And I think that I very real, I, I realize, and I think this is because where well, I could intellectually engage with rapture, you know, with, 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 mm-hmm. with, uh, objectivism more, even though I obviously, it's not, I'm not on board 100%. <laughs> <laughs> sure. At least I understood the appeal of it a lot more. It took me longer. And because I know I'm not religious, I, I think that I, I did, I did religion a bit of a, a misservice or independent of whether it's anything to do with its re- quote reality or not. Mm-hmm. The sure. reality is, is many religious people derive a lot of meaning from it. And yeah. I didn't convey that very well. Very late in the day, I tried to convey with Lady Comstock, but I, th- I think if I had to go back and do it again, um, I would, I would spend a lot of time thinking about how to put some, not balance, because it's not about saying, Oh, it has to equal out, but it, it is, a, it is, there's a reason people are religious and, and very, some very nice people are religious is because it, it adds meaning it, in, you know, it makes it, it can make, it brings meaning to their lives. And, and I cannot, I did not do a good job of showing that. Yeah. I want to, um, and we appreciate you sharing that and 
um, for for what it's worth, like um, we love uh, we loved both both uh, both Bioshock and Bioshock Infinite. Well, I want to shift gears uh, for just a minute. We're kind of running out of time here, but I want to ask one last question, kind of about about video game violence, and because I think um, I think Bioshock is a game for some people anyway, and I think for me that changed the conversation a little bit, maybe about video game violence. And so I want to read a quote from uh, Brendan Keogh's book, uh, Killing is Harmless. You wrote a book on um, Spec Ops Align, actually, and we had him on the show last week. And anyway, I, he talked about Bioshock, and I thought, I thought this was interesting. So this is what he says about Bioshock. He says, Bioshock through its would-you-kindly reveal, um, so spoiler there, but uh, <laughs> Bioshock through its would-you-kindly reveal made a statement about video game play. It noted how, as a player, I never made a choice in a, vid- in a video game. It noted that every time I thought I was making a choice of my own free will, I was, in fact, doing what the game permitted me to do. Post-Bioshock, then, I think there's been an absolving of the player's responsibility in gameplay alongside, paradoxically, a determination to hang on to the player's agency. That is, players still demand the ability to make choices, but refuse to accept responsibility for those choices. So I guess I want to get your thoughts on that quote, and then and then also I'm curious to hear um, if you think about um, kind of that moment in Bioshock, and Bioshock in particular as a, as a game that maybe changed the conversation a little bit in terms of, of, um, of video game violence. And, and, you know, I think it's a game that's more self-aware about its violence for sure than, you know, at least any previous shooter that I can think of right off the top of my head. Um, yeah, you know, I don't know if I'm really, like, convinced that it, change a conversation about violence per se because um I, I don't think that was really our core concern i think it was about you know the things i was really looking at is agency and freedom I, and both both in the as a gamer and as you know as the character jack in the world of rapture because ryan's yeah. world you know the world he created is one of is one of you know supposedly one of freedom right that's what he that's what why he created rapture it was to be free of of other people saying to you, you know, no, so the man in Washington, right? You know, that whole, that whole <laughs> angle that you control your own destiny. And to some degree, I think games promise that a lot. And, and I think some great games deliver more than others do. Like, you know, I think civilization does a pretty good job of delivering a fair amount of control over your destiny within the context of that game. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, but story games tend to have a much harder time of that. Story driven games tend to have a much mm-hmm. harder time of, of letting you control your destiny because we don't really have a, a great, we haven't had a great methodology to sort of react to the player going off the plot, you know, to improvisation. Um, yeah. and where civilization sets up a rules wherein you can Im- improvise. A story is much, is a little more difficult to do that with. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I don't think violence is really something I really was thinking about. And to some degree, I also, I, you know, I, I think video game violence and actual violence have so little to do with each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, there's actual violence is, 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 is so shocking to, well, observing it in real life is so shocking to the soul and, um, committing it. And the thought of actually like, committing an act of violence and harming someone is it's just it, it, even on harming like I, i'm i'm one of the i'm a guy who doesn't you know who literally finds bugs in his house and carries them down two flights of stairs and puts them outside um not because I, i'm like and it, just because the thought of it's just gross to like hurt something you know it just doesn't it really makes me feel bad but i'll kill i'll kill the crap out of things in a video game because those <laughs> things have it, any human in a video game has 
has a zillionth less life than some some little bug who crawls into my house. Yeah. I will slap a mosquito. I'll say that. I will yeah. slap the crap out of a mosquito. Um, <laughs> those things are killing machines. Um, but um, but I I think it's I think it's a little I I find it a little um, I find it a little um, disrespectful to life in some way to talk about video game life as having anything to do with it. That's um, interesting. That's, that's interesting to me because I, uh, like when I was playing, for instance, um, Bioshock Infinite, there's, there's a long introduction, you know, and then there's that scene where you first kill a dude, right? Yep. And that scene to me had a huge impact. It didn't feel as if I was actually killing a real person, but it did have, it it's memorable feel, for sure. Yeah, it was definitely memorable and it was shocking. And I, and I think for me, it, it felt like, a t- like a a representation of what it would what it might feel like if that makes sense yeah, look I, I think we're talking about drama right we're talking about yeah, ability to create emotion i think when i get uncomfortable is when people actually start saying this is connected there's some moral element to it you know the, like ethical element to it like killing of a video game is somehow ethically bad in the way killing in life like the, I don't think there. I don't think it's an issue of quantity. I don't think it's right, a resilience right. is bad. I think it is one is not bad, and what one is not ethically wrong, and one is ethically wrong. I think dramatically, if you do your job right. So, so for instance, you could go play Smash TV tomorrow, right? Remember that old game? Yep. Mm-hmm. And you can kill all day long, and you're not going to have any emotional connection to that, primarily because it's not dramatically. I love that game, but it's not dramatically effective. Yeah. When it comes to dealing with violence, where I hope Bioshock is dramatically effective in terms of dealing with the violence in that world. But that, that, but that drama, um, in the same way, when you, um, you know, watch a love scene in a movie, that's, an, and that's, you know, maybe you find it arousing or stimulating or whatever. That's not connected to the, what you actually have with your wife. Like you're not cheating on your wife by finding a romantic scene appealing in, in a, in a, um, in, in a movie. However, if you went out for a com- dinner with another woman and had a very soulful, deep conversation without any sexual encounters at all, that would probably more, that's much more like cheating on your wife than watching a movie where it's fantasy. Right. And I think that right. I really draw a real hard line between fantasy and reality. I think there are people who have trouble drawing a line. I think those people are generally what we'd recognize as. as yeah. Uh, and I guess, I guess that's part of what I was trying to get at with my question is I think like, like, and another example might be, I don't, have you played Hotline Miami? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we we were talking to uh, Dennis Whedon, who's one of the developers of that game, and he said, you know, I think that's a game that's really, like, self-aware of its own, like, hyper-violence, you know? Like, yeah. you, you, you fly through this level, like, brutally killing all these people, and it's, like, super intense, and then the game's over, and the music cuts, you know, and, and while you're killing all these people, there's this, like, awesome music going on, and, and points flashing on the screen, and then when you're when you're done, it's just like this dull moan, this like sort of drone, and and you have to walk through all these bodies of people you killed. And so Dennis said to me, he said, "Yeah, we want people to have like an awesome time playing, but then when we're done, we want you to realize that you just like killed, you just killed a bunch of people for points. We want you to kind of like acknowledge that." Um, <laughs> which to me, that would you kindly moment in Bioshock kind of made me think about like just sort of acknowledge that I was I was playing along with what I was supposed to do. When all this time, when all this time I thought I had agency and I was just kind of mindlessly killing things in a sense, or at least it made me think about that. And I don't know if that was intentional or not, but I, I found that to be a powerful moment when like the game sort of, um, made me more aware of 
of like what was being represented on screen. No, and look, I I think well, I think the goal was it made you question how you acted in a video game because it pointed out how actual how you were basically just being led by the nose and yeah. Do- and you're, and you're a slave to the game, essentially, right? That's, that's, yep. that's what we're trying to say. And whether that's who you help or who you don't help or who you kill or who you don't kill or whatever you do in that game, you really look back at Jack's history. He, none of it was his, right? Until Ryan tells him, none of it is his. It's all, he doesn't have any agency. And to some degree, mm-hmm. that's his experience is similar to playing games. He thought he had agency. When you play a game, you do it so you, I want to experience that when really what you're doing is you're following a bunch of orders. Um, because if you don't, the game experience doesn't have, loses all meaning. You can't really go off, you know, in a game like Bioshock, you can't really go off the plot because there is nothing, nothing exists off the plot. Um, and I, I, so I think it's fair to say that maybe by, by the fact that it pointed out your lack of agency, Hopefully everything of your, you, you reexamine your experience in whole. And one of the part of that experience is the, the dramatic experience of simulation of violence. Yeah. Um, but I don't think that was the only, look, certainly I can tell you from an authorial intent. And I've always said that I don't think authorial intent actually matters because that could be dead right now. And who cares what my authorial intent is? It really what you, what you take away from playing the game. But from an authorial intent standpoint, I, I was not, I was not setting out to make a game criticizing or about, or making the player think about violence as I was trying to, we were trying to make something that made the player think about agency. Well, um, we really appreciate you being on the podcast with us. Oh, yeah. I appreciate, I appreciate it, guys. That was really fun. I'm sorry if my answers got a little uh, <laughs> long and logy there, but no, that was great. Thanks <laughs> oh, very yeah. much, Ken. This was uh, this was definitely one of the most. Uh, how do I say this? It was probably one of the most tense podcasts we've done, but like in a really good way. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, fascinating. I think. Yeah. So are we off now? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I have a. I have oh, a good, because little... I was going to say something really stupid, but but it's good. I, good idea. I yeah, I'll tell you when you can say the stupid thing. Yeah. Did I, I curse? No, I don't think so. Do you oh, want to? Not. Do you want to before we go? No, 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 no. I don't. I, you know, I don't want you have to put a warning on it. So some some poor. <laughs> That's very so, in- inclusive of you. Um, I think I think God does exist because somehow I managed not to curse throughout that entire hour and 15 minutes. So, oh, we he, was acting and he was acting, he was moving in mysterious ways. So that's the headline. I think God does exist. Right. Ken, Ken Levine says God does exist. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. That's definitely going as a headline. But uh, thanks for listening to the Game Church podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, please spread the word on Twitter, Facebook, and especially on iTunes. Please do go rate and review us on iTunes. It helps us so much. So uh, you can follow... Uh, Ken, I don't have your Twitter handle uh, memorized. What is your Twitter handle? It's at, at IG Levine. IG Levine, that's right. Okay, so follow Ken on Twitter, and um, be sure to pay attention. I know you're you're working on a project right now that I'm sure everybody will want to pay attention to. Um, and then uh, you can follow me on Twitter, Drew Dixon eighty uh, two, and Rich on Twitter at Dead Yet Living. Uh, send us feedback or questions at Drew at GameChurch.com. Check out the great articles and more information about Game Church at GameChurch.com. Join the Game Church community. Search for Game Church City on Facebook. Um, Our podcast producer is producer is Cray Allred. I'm a very spiritual person. Check out his podcast Sunday Old School, where a love of Jesus informs a love of hip hop. And uh, that's it (laughs) for us. (laughs) That's awesome.